Come on, let's give it to Jesus tonight. He's worthy, isn't he? Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless each one of you for your faithfulness to the house of God. And I want to say a very special thank you from our family for all of your love and hospitality that you have shown to us during the last nearly three weeks. We've been staying in an incredibly comfortable home uh, and uh, perfectly fit for a family our size. We are so grateful uh, for your hospitality and just grateful for your words of encouragement and love as well that you have shown uh, to my family and I while we have been here. We're so, so thankful for you. And of course, I give honor to your pastor and the leadership of this assembly. Don't you love your pastor tonight, church? Amen. They are awesome. Awesome, awesome. Amen. We're so grateful for them. And I just want to tell you all before we begin this lesson tonight, keep plugging away. Keep swinging the bat. Keep reaching the lost. Keep seeing souls repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I believe that we're not just waiting for the end time revival. It's here. The pouring out that was prophesied, that was spoken in both testaments is here. We are a part of that. Let's keep doing that work and going forward before the soon coming of our Lord and our King. Amen. 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 So uh, you can be seated uh, tonight in Jesus name. I have uh, I have some slides uh, that uh, uh, we're going to be showing tonight. We're going to be uh, talking about um, a very interesting uh, point first. In fact, we're going to be discussing two uh, very important. And if, if I if I could say it like this. Um, necessary points that don't get a lot of airtime, unfortunately, uh, in uh, our own personal study, uh, in uh, a lot of what, what we would call uh, good preaching and good teaching, and those are all great things. There's a lot of points that we can talk about, uh, but there are some that get more airtime than others. And I can tell you this, that as a missionary living overseas for many years, um, I discovered this to be a fact. When we sent home reports of what God was doing, uh, and I guess you could say our stats of what God did month after month, our reports were always with regards to those that were baptized, how many were baptized, and how many were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's all great. And that is all important and certainly praiseworthy things. But has it ever occurred to you that we never report on souls that have repented? It's a very interesting, it's right there in Acts 2.38. We quote it, we start there. Uh, but it doesn't get the airtime. And the reason is because the tangibility of this is not necessarily... Uh, it's not based upon one experience. So to, to be able to say, to kind of grab a hold of it and say, well, this individual repented. Why? Because we know that repentance is not just 
uh, a one-time thing. It is a lifestyle. Uh, so for this reason, it's very difficult to attribute a number to how many souls have repented. Uh, but tonight, we're going to talk about uh, a very important point, uh, repentance and the forgotten apostolic doctrine. Repentance and the forgotten apostolic doctrine. And so tonight, we're going to be discussing these two points um, and I'm going to pay close attention to the clock as best as I can tonight. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. And I'm, I'm oh, they've got it up there already. Great. Uh, brother, thank you so much. That just made this lesson 30 minutes longer tonight, that water. <laughs> brother, it's not too late to take it back. Revelation 3 and 9, let's read it. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Oftentimes, what we do know with regards to uh, repentance is that it is always that kind of toe-stomping uh, sermon that we hear that oftentimes gets us to a place where we bend our knees and we repent. And so I want to say that whenever we hear a hard sermon or a hard uh, lesson that is preached or taught across this pulpit, you need to thank God for that. You need to give God thanks uh, for solid teaching because we are living in a day where many churches' doctrines are as unstable as water. You can't build a foundation upon them. And so... To talk about repentance tonight, there's something that I want us uh, to first look at. And unfortunately, there is some misunderstanding about what repentance is actually all about. Um, and we wouldn't think so. We, we, we oftentimes give a lot of teaching about how to be baptized in Jesus' name, what the evidence of the Holy Ghost is. But how does one truly repent? We've got to talk about this tonight. Um, so let's go on to our next graphic tonight, and let's discuss what repentance is not. Okay, what repentance is not. First, repentance is not the full plan of salvation. Uh, there would be some that would tell you that all that you have to do uh, to meet the biblical qualification for salvation is simply to repent, and that's it. And this has become problematic because of my second bullet point tonight. Repentance is not only a mouth confession. So this is where there are some major problems with regards to uh, the doctrine of repentance. And that is we have joined together confession and repentance, and we view them as the same. They are not. They are very different. Yes, there is some overlap. But I'll tell you, I believe one of the reasons why we have a lot of repeat offenders when it comes to sin is because we teach them how to confess, but not how to repent. When people come into the house of God and they feel conviction about their sin, that's a great thing. When you feel conviction... Now, I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about conviction 
that I am a sinner, that I need to do this right, that I've got to fix this about myself. And we feel the power of God moving upon us and we cry and we confess and we say, God, touch me, cleanse me, deliver me, all of these things. And then we leave and do the very same thing. Like the scripture says, like a dog returning to its own vomit. Why is that the case? The reason is because that soul did very good with confessing, but did very poorly with repenting. And even though there is some overlap between repentance and confession, they are not the same thing and they should not be treated as the same as well. Repentance is not to join a church membership role. Okay, so we don't come up and say, well, I've repented, so now add me to the role so that I can vote at business meeting or, or something like that. No, no, no. Um, repentance also uh, is not preached enough these days. Too many times we don't hear enough preaching. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about all, all over the world. There is an issue with regards to repentance, the idea of cheap grace and so forth, saying uh, that God doesn't care about what you do. You're already, you're saved. If you're saved, then, then you're saved and leave it at that and God will take care of the rest of it. That is a very lazy grace message. Well, but we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. You jolly well got it right. We're under grace. But I want to tell you, grace is more strict than the law. Grace is stricter than the law. Under the law, if you take a knife and stab someone, you are a murderer. Under grace, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. This is the book. Which one is more strict? Under the law, if you lay with someone who is not your spouse outside of the bonds of marriage, you are an adulterer, you are a fornicator. That's under the law. Under grace, if you look upon someone and you lust, you are an adulterer and a fornicator. There's a lot of things that we could talk and a lot of parallels that we can draw between what is written in the scripture with regards to law and with regards to grace. Grace is actually has a very much stricter. It's incredibly important. And so when we talk about repentance, let's talk about what repentance actually is. Let's go on to our next graphic tonight. What repentance is? Repentance is required for salvation, but it is not the full plan of salvation. It's, it's something that brings uh, into play the other parts of the plan of salvation. It is a starting point. Um, it, it's really, we can, we can say, the, the starting block for us. So, Acts 3 and 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So yes, repentance is incredibly important for salvation. But also, repentance is a change of mind, walk, and talk. You see, this is the difference between repentance and confession. An individual can confess and say, I did it, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, I did this bad. But if they do not change, then they have only confessed and not repented. Repentance does require a change of mind, walk, and talk. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. 
and repentance is what makes joy in heaven. It's amazing that in, in Luke chapter number 15, the scripture actually never says that there's joy in heaven uh, whenever a soul is baptized. You know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say there's joy in heaven when a soul receives the Holy Ghost. Now, are these things that are in line with the common salvation? Yes. But Luke 15 says that joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Why? Because when an individual properly repents, they will be baptized in Jesus' name and they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't stop at true biblical repentance and not go all the way through with obedience of the full gospel plan of salvation. So it's incredibly important, dear brothers and sisters, repentance. Now, going on to our next slide tonight. Boy, I'm going quick. Repentance uh, is from the Hebrew word shuva. Uh, this word uh, literally means to return. That's what shuva actually means in Hebrew, to return. So when an individual repents and it says to return, what does that mean? Return where? Let's think about the Garden of Eden. This is what I always like to share with my students. The cradle of humanity was created by the sovereign hand of God and declared as good. Okay, so what was there in the Garden of Eden? Man and communion with God. That was it. Man was in a literal paradise created by God for man, having communion between God and man. Can you imagine how awesome that that must have been? Now, sin comes into the picture. Man is removed from the garden. And then what does man also do? Man hides himself from God because he knows that he's naked. He goes to hide himself in his shame. So this is what sin does. It does cause people to hide away from God. How many times do we hear it said, I'm not going to go to that church because I'm afraid that the roof may cave in on me. We, we've all heard that. The roof may fall in on me. Well, there's some strong pillars, as you can see, in this, on this roof. This roof isn't going down on anybody here. But the amazing thing about it is, is that God is actually trying to woo souls into his presence. And he uses us, his body, his hands and feet to do that very thing. So what caused this trouble? What was it that caused sin from the beginning? I want you to hear very carefully as I transition into what I believe. And we talked about repentance, and I hope that you understand what repentance is. It is it's not just a confession. It's an actual change of direction. You've got to walk different. You've got to talk different. You have to behave different. That's what repentance is. But at the very beginning, when the Bible tells us to repent, Hebrew, to shuva, we've got to go back to the Garden of Eden. Back at the Garden of Eden, what was the enemy? We would all say well, it was the adversary, Satan, which actually Satan or Satan in Hebrew, which means the adversary. But what did the adversary use against man? 
words. The tongue was the enemy of man. And the Bible, we understand, Satan used words to uh, deceive Adam, and we understand this from the Bible. He used his tongue to pass the blame. Uh, We see that it was all in the spoken word. Now, I want you to hear me very, very carefully right here. Don't lose me because every, I'm going to get up in your business tonight because I'm leaving after tonight, and you all will forgive me for, before I come back. Um, but if I could tonight, I might get on some toes. Um, and, and I think that this is going to be very important for you and for this assembly. And let me as well put a disclaimer. Pastor's been working. Uh, I've... My family and I, we've been busy. Pastor's not said anything to me. He's, I don't want anybody to say, oh, Brother Lang and Brother V were talking, and that's the reason why we got that tongue lashing on the last night of our doctrine series. No, not at all. A thousand times no. But I want to tell you tonight how dangerous your tongue can be to the kingdom of God. This is a doctrine, and this is what I want to talk to us about tonight. In the latter part of this lesson, Adam used his tongue to pass the blame to his wife. The serpent used his tongue to get Eve to eat the fruit. Then the blame went to Adam. Then the blame went to his wife. And then the blame ultimately went to the serpent. But too bad it didn't stop there. What do we have? We have two brothers. The Bible tells us that the first set of brothers, one killed the other. Now, we can say it was over jealousy. We can say it was because God did not have respect over Cain's offering, but did on Abel's offering. But the main issue was that when they were in the field, the Bible tells us that they were talking in the field. It's so quiet in here, you could hear a rat licking ice tonight. (laughs) What were they doing in the field? Talking. What are you supposed to be doing in the field? Working. Cain slew his brother Abel because they were in the field talking rather than working. And how many times have I seen brothers try to kill one another spiritually because all they could find to do in the field was talk and not work. I'll come over here and try it on this side tonight. The field is not a place to talk. The field is a place to work. The Garden of Eden was also a place to work, but it became a place of talk. And when it became a place of talk, it became a place of separation between God and man. And it became a place of conversation between Satan and man. So on the flip side of this, you and I need to understand, we have been called to labor in a field, a field that God has planted us to work in. And if we find ourselves talking and backbiting and busybodying, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to get separated from from the presence of God. Somebody's going to find themselves in a situation that they shouldn't be in. 
So this, I do believe, with all of my heart, is the forgotten apostolic doctrine. The forgotten apostolic doctrine. We, we go always to repentance and oneness and baptism and the Holy Ghost. And I spend a lot of days of my life teaching these very things to saints and sinners alike. These are my candy stick doctrines. These are the things that I am taught to share my perspective about these points of apostolic doctrine. But it does very little for us. If we learn how to speak in tongues beautifully, but can't learn to speak beautifully about our brother and about our neighbor in English. I don't want to spend all of my life just teaching people that they, when they receive the Holy Ghost, they're going to speak in tongues. If we can't learn to control our tongues whenever we have thoughts to speak evil about somebody, we have to learn how to do this right. Dear brothers and sisters, this is a part of apostolic doctrine and it has, all, all, it has oftentimes been forgotten. But tonight God has sent me by here to remind us that not only only are we supposed to be known to be a, 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 a one God apostolic tongue talking, holy, rolling, born again, heaven bound believer. But we're also supposed to be known by how we speak when we're out in the community, how we speak with our family, how we speak with our spouses, how we speak with our church family. That is also an identification for the children of God. Not just that we speak in tongues. I know that. That, may, that seems to identify us as Pentecostal. So I want to draw your attention to Psalm 34, uh, 12 and 14. 12 through 14. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? This word desireth life uh, is a term uh, in, in Hebrew uh, that uh, is chofetz uh, chaim. And this Teaching this idea is certainly one uh, that, that has been an inspiration to me. If someone desires life, what man is he that desires life? You want life? You love many days? You want to see good? Here's the secret. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So I want to uh, go on to our next graphic tonight, and we're going to learn a, uh, a Hebrew term. And uh, I want you to learn this one well. In fact, if you hear somebody speaking evil, I want you to call them out. I'm serious. I want you to say, Loshan Hara. You hear somebody start turning your ear into a trash can, feeding garbage to you, stirring discord, point them out. Loshan Hara. Loshan Hara is a Hebrew term. It means the evil tongue. The evil tongue. Numbers chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. I want us to take a look at this verse. 
And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Everyone say, The Lord heard it. They said it, and the Lord heard it. How different would our speech be if we were reminded of this verse that every time we say something, he hears it. We love the scripture that says his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. And we, we, we use that in the context of prayer. But do you think he only listens to you when you pray? I'm going to come down here and say it because I ain't scared of a single one of you. I've been shot at on the missions field, and you think giving me a one-eyed jack stare is going to scare me away? It's not. Hello? No, I'm trying to help you tonight. Miriam received leprosy on her skin because of what her tongue spoke. Because of this whole precedent it became the idea in Judaism that if a person became a leper it's because they had committed the sin of Loshon Hara of evil speech or the evil tongue and so it is because of this reason why that lepers had to live in colonies and then had to use the same lips and the same tongue that spoke evil and declare themselves unclean. So, this is the reason why that the scripture declares it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what? goes out of a man that defiles him. That is a reference to speech. That you can actually make yourself unclean by your speech. Now, if I could just say this for a moment, and this is very important, I'm not talking about wordy dirds. Some of y'all are like, well, I don't cuss. I don't even know no four-letter words. Well, very proud of you. I wish it was that easy. You can say things not using those four-letter words that will still put the taint of a leper upon you. That will still defile your person. Remember, it's not what goes in that defiles. It's what comes out. That is a reference to speech. Now, let's go on to our next graphic because some of you are like, what's this got to do with apostolic doctrine? Well, I'm glad you ask. Holy speech is a part of apostolic doctrine. The apostles were known by their speech. They were known to be different than the other people living in, Ju in Judea. And after a while, Matthew 26, after a while came unto him uh, uh, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. They, they were trying to say that Peter was a, uh, uh, that he was one of the disciples. And they said, For thy speech bereath thee. Your speech gives you away. 
We know how you people speak. Your speech is giving you up. And then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. This is so important for us. It has been a forgotten part of apostolic doctrine, but church family, we have to be very careful about how we speak. Yes, I, 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 I'm going to get up in your... I, I'm not even... You all thinking, man, he's already gotten hard on his time. Oh, I haven't even gotten started yet. This thing's just getting going here. Pastor said I had three hours tonight. Loshan Hara. Let's talk about some specifics. Some of you are going to leave here limping tonight. On to our next graphic. So what is Loshanhara? What is evil speech? Did you know that the spirit of complaint is Loshanhara? Is evil speech. Have you ever been around somebody that uh, just complains all the time? Oh, some of you all are like, oh no, he's talking about me. <laughs> yes, I am. Proverbs 26 and 20. Uh, I think that the English translators did a good job. KJV is in archaic English. Uh, but I want to show you there are a few places in the Bible where some Hebrew is important. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. Now we read this word talebearer, and what do we think? We think a liar. Do you know that that's not even the word for liar in the Hebrew that's used in the original text? It is the word nirgan. The word nirgan. And the word nirgan in Hebrew actually means complainer, not liar. But complainer. So now let's read the scripture. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no complainer, the strife ceaseth. How many situations in our families and in our churches had strife in them? that burned like a fire all because somebody felt that it was their duty at that moment to complain about something that no one had any control over. Come on, somebody. Complaining, according to the Scripture, is evil speech. Complaining about the music's too loud, I can't hear it, it's too hot, it's too cold, my wife didn't cook the food properly, this person didn't do this right, this person didn't do that right. Some people, they, the only reason they remember to breathe is so that way they can complain about what's in front of them. This is a terrible sin. This is something, church family, that we must repent of. As the church of the living God. How many witnesses have been lost in our communities. Because we do nothing but complain to people in the service industry. 
complaining my food was not hot or my food was too cold or, or something like that. And, and, and I have been in restaurants with God's people after I've just preached my guts. I'm still sweating going into a restaurant with God's holy people because we're apostolic. We like the, the breaking of bread part of our apostolic doctrine. But let me share with you this forgotten part of apostolic doctrine. Let's start speaking to people with love, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, maybe there's a server that might be sub par from time to time but maybe they're having a bad day you don't know what they're going through at home maybe they didn't have maybe they were up all night with a sick child i think every single one of us in this room we would like it if people didn't always judge us and come to conclusions about us whenever we're having a bad day whenever we're not maybe playing up to par I'm thankful that there are people that have looked beyond those days of fault in my life and said, you know what, Jeremy's still a good guy. He's still worthwhile. Maybe, maybe he's not batting a thousand today. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Love on them. Love on them. My pastor taught me something years ago. He said, you know, when you go into a restaurant, and I actually seen him do it, and I asked him about it. We went into a restaurant, the, the server was... Was, uh, was acting just kind of nonchalant, kind of carefree, and, and uh, wasn't being very uh, kind. And uh, my pastor said, he said, I learned this lesson years ago. He said, she'd come back around. He said, uh, said hey, what's your name? He said her name, and he said, well, how you doing today? I, I hope you're doing good, and I'm excited that you're our server today, and I'm looking forward to giving you a great tip today. Because I appreciate what you do. And completely changed her day. That frown turned the other way around. Come on, somebody. Did you know that even something as simple as that can be a great witness in our community? But how many times do we walk into a place and say, they don't know how, what they're doing. They don't know how to serve. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to do this. They don't know how to do that. And all along, guess what we're doing? We're ending up feeding that to our children. And then we're raising a next generation of people that think they know everything and that nobody else knows anything. Come on, somebody. We need to start changing the way that we talk. And when we begin to change it, when we become conscious of the fact that complaining is a spirit, and it is a spirit that will burn out of control if we do not put some control to it. We'll destroy the church. It will do all kinds of things. Destroy marriages. It will destroy lives, the tongue. How many wars around the world have been started because of words? It happens all the time. A great fire can this little member kindle. I want to go on to the next slide very quickly. Spirit of unthankfulness. This is the one that I learned before I got in church. Spirit of unthankfulness is lotion hara. It's evil speech. Because it's not just about what you do say, it's also about what you don't say. My mother uh, was very big about saying thank you. She, <laughs> she was uh, very interesting, bless her heart. Um, somebody gave me a piece of candy and I took it and ran off to go play. She wouldn't say anything then. 
But when we got home, my dad's belt coiled up on his dresser like a cobra. When I heard that belt buckle jingling towards my bedroom, I knew it's time to pretend I'm asleep. My mother spanked me if I did not say thank you. Because it's very interesting that the unthankful that is written about in the New Testament and the epistles is written right next to unholy. Can you believe unthankful, unholy are written right next to one another? As if that they are on par with one another of equal importance. Thankfulness is so important. And when someone does something for you, you need to make sure that you tell them, thank you, thank you. I would say it's also okay to pull pastor aside. I know he doesn't have to be petted, but let me tell you, it's a good thing to give thanks, the scripture says. So there's nothing wrong with going to pastor, these ministers, these worship leaders and musicians, putting your arm around them and saying, I just want to thank you for what you do in the kingdom of God. It's making a difference. It's changing lives. It's bearing fruit. I think it would be great to go up to your spouse from time to time and put your arm around them and say, thank you for what you do for our family. How many homes have been torn apart because marriages, people didn't feel like that, that they were appreciated. They felt underappreciated. This should not happen in the kingdom of God. We need to be thankful for one another, thankful for our ministries, thankful for our families, thankful for what God has given to us. So Jesus answering in Luke 17 and Jesus answering said where were uh, uh, answering said where there are not uh, 10 cleansed. I'm gonna put my glasses on. But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. So we know this story. Ten were cleansed, right? He said, go show yourself to the priest as they were going. They were cleansed. Only one returned to give thanks and glory to God. Only one came back. And so Jesus called them out, said, where are the other nine? Now, what disease did they have? Leprosy. And what did we just talk about in Jewish culture? And in Hebrew culture, a person who had leprosy was considered one that had committed the sin of evil speech. And remember, speech is not just about what you do say. Sometimes it can be about what you don't say. Okay? One came back. Where are the nine? They were cleansed. Where are they at? This is from the book of Jeremy. But if I could say this, Pastor V... Um, I sometimes wonder if maybe the leprosy did not come again upon the nine that never returned because they never learned their lesson. Does that make sense what I'm saying? They, they, they never learned. I just, this is just something I wonder in my mind. Did they get leprosy again? They were cleansed. They were healed. And God will touch us and God will cleanse us and we can find a, a place of confession and a place of healing. But if we don't find that true place of repentance, if we, don't, if we don't realize the error of our ways, we can be in trouble. So only one came back. 
Also, the spirit of discouragement. I want to go on to the next, uh, next slide. Thank you. So uh, we know the scripture uh, talks about the sons of, of, of Anak, which whenever I'm with Brother Vasquez and Brother Stumbo at the same time, I feel like that uh, they are the sons of Anak and I'm like one of the grasshoppers. Um, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we, so we were in their sight. So this is Numbers 13 and 33. Now, the next chapter. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. So there's the Loshan Hara. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Spirit of discouragement can happen through speech. So I want to talk about this for just a moment. Because these were the children of God. And they were children of promise. They knew that God had made them promises. And it was spoken by his own word. We all know tonight, church family, that there are things written in the word of God that are promises unto us. But how many times does the adversary of our soul use people to discourage us from the promises of God? It happens. It happened in the Bible. And it unfortunately can happen in the church today. Now, I pray that it doesn't. But it's very interesting that the scripture talks about Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, we know that when it came to the uh, spies going into the land that came back with a, a good report... Uh, uh, they came back with a good report and then the ten came back and, and said that we can't take the land. We understand that this is a situation, once again, where God had made promises, but man was trying to talk themselves out of the promises of God. Now listen very, very carefully. The scripture declares to us that with regards to Joshua and Caleb, when they came back, the people cried. They said, we can't take the land. It's full of giants. Now, we know the names of the two that had the good report. What were their names again? Joshua and Caleb. What were the names of the ten that said, we can't do it? We don't know. Nobody knows their names because their names aren't important because they had a spirit of discouragement upon them. When you have a spirit of discouragement upon you, and I'm not talking about you yourself being discouraged, I'm talking about you being a discourager. When you are content to discourage God's people, people from growing spiritually, using evil speech against your brother or against your sister, and that discouragement is always there, and I know people that just have it upon them all the time. I know people that can't say anything good about anyone. Just the spirit of discouragement is always upon them. 
It has a way of making your name irrelevant. Because posterity doesn't remember the people that just sat around and discouraged all the time. It remembers the people that stood up and said, wait just a minute. We can go up and take the land. In fact, they said, let's go up at once for we are well able. See, the people cried all night, said we can't do it. But here comes Joshua and Caleb and they say, we are well able. Come on, folks. We've got this. Not only are we Israel, but we are the people of God. We didn't get our name Israel just out of, out of nowhere. We are truly named because we are royalty that has power with God. But the amazing thing is that the scripture then tells us that he stilled the people. We read it in the Hebrew, it says that he stilled the people with his hand. It actually says he stilled the people with his hand. And so we get the idea that he was like, while they were all crying and saying, we're never going to make it, that Caleb was over there, shh, shh, like I have to do with my kids. You know what I'm saying? Shh, shh. That's not what he was doing. When it says that he stilled the people with his hand, you see, there are some places where Hebrew is very similar to English. For example, a place that we store weapons with our military is called what? An armory. An armory. What do we call weapons? We call them arms, right? That's what we call them, arms. Some of you in this room tonight are probably... Armed. What's that? Armed and dangerous, Pastor says. Armed and dangerous. And that's good. It's a good thing. So in English, we use the word arm. In Hebrew, the word hand is used. So when it says that he stilled the people with his hand, it wasn't talking about him doing this. It literally means that he drew his sword. And stilled the people. You know, whenever there's a commotion going on and somebody fires a gun up into the air, you got everybody's attention suddenly. Well, back in the day, when it comes to Joshua and Caleb, who knew a little bit of some, something about their arms, their hand, when everybody was murmuring and crying and they suddenly drew their sword, everyone knew it's time for a holy hush. We're about to have tongues and interpretation here. He stilled the people with his hand, with his sword, and he said, no, we are well able. Let's go up at once, for we are well able to take this land. Can I tell you tonight, church family, this is still the same way that we deal with the spirit of discouragement. When somebody tries to discourage you, when the devil himself tries to discourage you and tells you that you can't do it, you also have a sword. It's time to get some folks and some devils to shut up with the word of God. Some people will tell you you'll never get clean, you'll never get victory. You pull out your sword and say, all things are possible to those that believe. If God be for us, who can be against us? Come on. You've got to take over the conversation. And the way that you take over a conversation of evil speech 
and a spirit of discouragement that speaks these evil words into your mind and into your spirit, pull your sword out. Every devil's going to run for the hills because you've just loosened the word of God in the situation. This is the reason why we must be on the offense with The Word of God. This is the reason why the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. We need to make sure that we're using it. That evil speech comes into a conversation. We must remember the encouragement of the Word of God. Next uh, slide. Spirit of condemnation is also Loshan Hora. Uh, This is a very interesting point that I want to mention uh, here very briefly. Um, Everything that we read about in the New Testament, so many things... Uh, have amazing precedent uh, within commentaries that actually even existed before the time of the Messiah. So many things were, and one of those uh, was the first stone, the first stone. Uh, We know the scripture, we know the narrative very well. John 8 and 7, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So this is a lesson that is actually taught uh, to Children uh, in not just first century Judea, but even before this was a very important lesson that was taught to Jews in Israel. The ancient writings of the rabbinical commentaries declared he who cast the first stone is in danger of the same stone rolling back over himself. Without a doubt, Jesus knew this as well as those who attempting to condemn this woman. When the Messiah referenced the first stone, they knew that they were in danger of those stones rolling over them again. Now, we're not talking about physically. We're talking in in allegory here. It put a fear in their heart and made them drop their stones one by one. Because when you cast a stone of condemnation at someone... Understand that that same stone might end up hitting you one day. This is the reason why our judgment should be righteous judgment and not condemnation. And notice in this verse of scripture in John 8, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, after he had already told them, uh, who's without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. He said unto the woman, where are those thine accusers? Now, church family, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, you need to hear this very carefully. Those men dropped those stones and started walking down the street. Jesus looked up and said, where are your accusers? And he says, hath no man condemned thee? And notice what the woman said. She said, no man, Lord. And so Jesus said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Have that change of life. That's repentance. Have you ever noticed that when he said, has no man condemned thee? She had been condemned. She was cast down at the feet of Jesus himself. Saying, this woman has committed adultery. Moses said, such a person should be stoned. What do you say? 
This woman could have stood up and said, Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. There they go right there. Those were the people that blamed me. Those were the people that misused me. Those were the people that condemned me. Get him, Jesus. She could have said that. She could have said, yes, there are some men that have condemned me. I know where they live. I know their names. I I, I know their address. I know all of these things. But no, she didn't do it. Why? Because when you feel mercy and grace from above, you want to be willing to give mercy and grace as well. Not just to be a recipient of it, but to be a conduit for it. But how many times in our lives, and I'm not talking about sinners tonight, I'm talking about Holy Ghost-filled saints of God, when somebody abuses them, when somebody speaks ill of them, when somebody condemns them, the first thing that we want to do is throw that stone right back at them and say, I know some dirt on you. I know some things that you did. I know that does nothing in the body of Christ but destroy your witness, destroy your family's witness, and can ultimately destroy your life. We cannot walk around all of our lives feeling that that we should be salty toward everybody that's condemned us, everybody that's looked at us wrong, everybody that we heard that she said, she said, she said, somebody said something about me. Forget all of that junk. We've got to have a change of culture with regards to how we speak, dear brothers and sisters. How many churches have split because of the tongue? How many families have split because of the tongue? How many... Issues have happened between families, between friends, all because people didn't know how to control their tongue. Let that not be said of Bethlehem Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let it not be said, but rather let it be said. You know those apostolics down there in Bethlehem, they're people that'll do you right. They'll encourage you. They'll speak peaceful to you. They'll love on you. They're some of the kindest people. They're so thankful when they walk into our business. That needs to be... The testimony of God's people. I'm almost done. Be seated for just another 75 to 90 minutes. I want to go on to the next to last slide here. Ministry with unclean lips. Ministry with unclean lips. I'm not talking about preaching ministry only. I'm talking about serving God with unclean lips. That's what ministry means. It means service. It doesn't just mean preaching. It means to serve. Many ways to serve in the kingdom of God, isn't there? So Isaiah 6, 5 through 7. A very familiar text. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Not speaking properly is sin and iniquity. It's sin. 
having a spirit of discouragement, condemnation, complaint, unthankfulness. This is sin that we must address. But it's all too often times forgotten. And the reason why it's forgotten is because we are all infected with it. I told you I was going to come right down to you tonight. We're infected with it. We've not learned how to speak properly. We complain too much. We're underappreciative of our families, of our spouses, of our children. We don't encourage our brothers and sisters. We feel too often that we're in competition with them, and this is wrong. But I want you to notice what Isaiah said. He said, I'm undone. He said, because I am a man of, of unclean lips. Who was this? The prophet said, I am a man of unclean lips, but he went on further and he said, and I dwell amongst a people with unclean lips. What was he saying? He said, I'm supposed to be the one called to preach to them, but I can't give them something that I don't have. I'm bound up with this very same sin that they are bound up with. I can't help them when I am as bound up as they are. Their cardinal sin was that of evil speech. And Isaiah said, I'm no better than they are. I've got the same issue that they have. So notice the process. That angel came with that live coal, that burning coal that he picked up with tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth. He said, and it touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. I feel a holy conviction in this house. I feel a very important conviction in this house. One that maybe you did not expect to experience tonight. But I want you to know tonight, this is from my heart, but more importantly, it's from right here. And if we're going to do this thing right in these last days, we've got to have a revival of speech. We've learned how to not smoke. We've learned how to not drink. We've learned how to baptize right. We've learned about the oneness of God. We've learned all of these things beautifully. But there is still one lesson yet for us to learn, church family. We don't have it all yet. We've got to learn once again how to talk. Let's do this right. Stand with me tonight. As I close... The scripture does declare in Luke 6 and 45, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Isn't it amazing? One of the most powerful prayers in the scripture 
says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Now, some people say, our relationship with God, it's all a heart issue. This scripture testifies against you if you have that opinion. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. We've got to be very careful. And tonight needs to be that moment where we say, God, I'm not only going to confess of my speech that has been subpar when measured against the measuring rod of your word, but I am also going to leave this place having repented of my speech. And I'm going to be determined that from this day forward, I'm going to speak holy. I'm going to speak encouraging. I'm going to be thankful. I want to be an encourager to my brother, to my sister, to my family, to my neighbor. Come on. In the name of Jesus, here's your opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come tonight? Let's come. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight bringing us closer to this forgotten doctrine, this all too forgotten doctrine amongst our fellowships. It is so important for us tonight to get control, to get control of what we speak. It's going to affect us. It's going to affect our heart. It's going to affect our home. It's going to affect the church. It's going to affect our workplace. It's going to affect our school. Oh God, oh God. You've convicted us one more time. That's it right now. Can we just can we just lift our hands, maybe lift our voices unto the Lord? Yes, this would be a good time to confess if this is your fault tonight. And I think that we've all maybe fallen short in some way with regards to this particular sin. But let it be said that tonight we began a lifestyle of repentance, a culture change, a culture change in our home, a culture change in our very heart, even a culture change in our assembly. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. I wonder if tonight there would be some seraphim that would come into this place with live coals from off the altar that might touch our lips so that our sin and our iniquity could be purged, that it could be cleansed tonight. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that's it. Go ahead. Go ahead in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be an encourager. I'm not going to talk about my brother behind his back. I'm not going to murmur about my sister behind their back. I'm not going to speak evil to my wife, to my husband, to my spouse, to my children. I'm not going to speak evil in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm going to be careful about my speech at work. I'm going to be careful about my speech even when I'm driving down the road. Lord, I, I'm going to, going to cultivate a new culture in my life for my family. Because, oh God, we don't want to be tainted. Tainted with a spiritual sort of leprosy that brings its infection, that passes it on all through speech. God of glory, help us tonight. Help us tonight. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight tonight, oh God. In the name of Jesus, oh God, minister. Minister, oh God, minister in this house. Oh God, we're so thankful.
we're so thankful tonight, Father, for what we feel in your presence. Lord, your word works. Your word works. But so many times, God, our words can destroy. Too many times, oh God, our words can kindle fires. Fires that can't be put out, oh God. Fires that spread. Oh God, help us tonight. Help us tonight find a place of repentance. In the name of Jesus, that's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. In the name of Jesus, cry out to him tonight, saint of God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's it. We're going to be known. We're going to be known, saints of God, by our speech. Our speech is going to give us away. Our speech is going to be how we are known. Not just because we're tongue talkers. That's great too. But we don't talk in tongues whenever we're walking through the market. We don't talk in tongues always when we're driving down the road. We don't talk in tongues 24-7. We speak in English. We speak in our mother tongue. We're going to be known. We're going to be identifiable by how we speak to one another. That's it. Let God do a work in our lives right now. Let our iniquity and our sins be purged by that live coal from the altar tonight. Amen. Why don't you reach over to somebody nearby and just lay your hand on their shoulder and pray one for another. Pray one for another. Encourage each other. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The Bible says when we pray one for another, we fulfill the law of Christ. The simple act of praying for somebody else helps you to fulfill what the Bible called the law of Christ. The law was a commandment. We have the commandment to pray one for another. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, God. Help us, God, to be good brothers and good sisters to each other. Help us to be good church family members. Help us to be good husbands and wives and sons and daughters. Friends and brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you. It was probably, I don't know, seven, seven, eight, nine years ago when I served as the superintendent for the Mississippi District. You know, leadership, sometimes when you're in leadership, you're put in a position where you have to make a decision. And no matter what you choose, somebody gets hurt you ever been in a situation like that where you had to make a decision and no matter what there was no good outcome it was gonna it was gonna hurt either way 
I had to make a decision as the leader of the district. And I knew that when I made a decision, whichever one I picked was going to upset one of my brothers, one of our ministers. And so I made what I felt like was the decision that I had to make. And I was right. It offended one of my brothers. Had I made the other decision, it would have offended another brother. I made what I felt was the best choice at the time. I was driving in Ohio. Sister Bonnie, I was, I was, I have a friend up there and he has land and he let me come deer hunt and uh, as a matter of fact, it was the same week that your daddy died. I was up there hunting with Brother Fries. I was driving across Ohio and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, my word says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. And the Holy Ghost convicted me to come home and make peace with that brother that I felt I was right. You know what I did? I called him immediately, driving across those cornfields of Ohio. I called him immediately. I says, I'm out of the state, but when I get home, I'd like to meet you at your office and I need to talk to you. And when I went to his office, I apologized that I'd hurt him. And I told him, I said, I didn't want to. I didn't mean to. I just had to make a decision. And no matter what I did, somebody was going to be upset. And I'm sorry. that. And, and you know what? That brother's one of my best friends in the world right now. By Instead of trying to be a peacekeeper, trying to be a peacemaker I gained a friend that I thought I had lost Brother Lang thank you wasn't that awesome wasn't that, wasn't that great how many of us found something we could use in our home in our friendships in our relationship in our church amen we've all we, there, there's, there was something in there for everybody amen and it was lotion hard. I didn't tell him he had three hours. That was, that was evil speaking. No, Love, Brother Lang. God, I pray for this family. I pray for the Lang family. God, they have blessed us. God, they have given their word, the word, your word to us. God, I pray that as they leave here, God, I pray your hand of protection upon them. I pray your guidance. I pray your, your blessing on them. God, in whatever endeavors they do in the kingdom of God, I pray your blessing. And God, I ask you, Lord, that if you've laid it on anyone in this church's heart to be a financial blessing to them while they're doing mission work this summer, God, I pray that you just let them know that they've heard from you to be a blessing to this family. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.